0: All right, Julie, first, good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. We're so glad that you are part of us and part of this this morning. Uh, We're in for a different kind of day. Uh, Good news is I'm not preaching, so that's good for you. Um, All right. Uh, Adrenaline junkies out here. Uh, Anyway, hey, just a reminder real quick. I know Dan, Dan O'Mite has already said it this morning. Um, but we have some important decisions in the life of our church uh, this evening, and we're going to be talking about the future of our church here. Uh, we would love to invite you for dinner at 6 p.m., and um, we're gonna, you're going to come, and we'll feed you, and, and we're going to end up talking about um, just the potential we have for a, a potential purchase of this property and some some, visioning, some vision casting and some forward thinking about where we want to head as a church and, um, and and I know some of you may be new to our church, and the truth is, is we we can't make any big decisions uh, without your permission. Um, So we actually can't make decisions or sell property or do things without the church's consent. And so uh, part of tonight is just informing you of the possibilities that we have. We're not closing our doors. uh, We're not shutting things down. Uh, If anything, if anything, we think this moves us forward into what God has for us. And we really just need your help in this. And so six o'clock, be here Come join us for dinner. We're going to have a great time. So if you've not been with us over the last three weeks or two weeks, we've been in a series called Adrenaline Junkies, and many of you will know the first week we talked about the fact that we need to thank Keanu Reeves, the most handsome actor in all the world for this series title, because in the early 90s, there was a movie called Point Break. Some of you laughing because I talked about Keanu Reeves, Uh, but there was a movie called Point Break that that came out, and they are accredited, uh, this movie is accredited with coining this phrase, Adrenaline Junkies. And so we've said that many of us, when we think of adrenaline junkies, we think of people who like to live life on the edge, right? You think of people who jump out of planes, you think about people who climb mountains, you think about people who do extreme sports, right? But the question we've been asking is, and what we think is, is that adrenaline junkies don't always show up in extreme sports, that adrenaline junkies show up more so in subtle forms. That to some degree, if I were to ask each of you here, if you're an adrenaline junkie, most of you would say, absolutely not. I'm afraid to death. I have fear. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. But if I were to step into your life and your day-to-day situations, the truth is, is many of you thrive or are fueled by adrenaline. And adrenaline is what allows us to fight, flight, or flourish. We've said this, fight, flight, or flourish in life. And so the first week we talked about fighting back, and the second week was flight, and this week is about flourish, which I'm excited to talk about. But week one, we talked about what drives you. And, and we've said that for so many of us, so many of us, uh, we are fueled by negativity, that when we get up, uh, we would not know what to do in life if our problems, if our conflicts, if, if certain situations were taken away from us, we wouldn't know how to exist, in fact, ironically, we said some of us would not be able to have peace in our lives if we didn't have problems, and that so many of us are driven by negative ideas and negative comments, and we said in that series that negative people never move forward, that negativity never moves anything forward, and what was so exciting was a gentleman wrote us this letter, his name is Paul, and he talks about um, that you're going to face life no matter what happens kind of situations. And he, and he, coins it that way. He says, whatever you face, no matter what happens. And we, you know, when people have said, Hey, no matter what happens, what they're saying to you is there's a good chance. I'll never see you again because something bad could happen. And Paul says, Hey, no matter what happens, in other words, negative things are going to come in your life. The question is, how do you respond to them? How do you respond to them? And so he tells us out of his own experience I want you to be, whenever you find yourself in those no matter what happens kind of situations, I want you to be, do you guys remember this? Cheerful. That's right. Now, if you're human, not one of you, including myself, is cheerful whenever we face problems in our lives. No, we typically get angry. We get upset. We get mad at people. We want to fight with people. I mean, that's just how it works. And so Paul understands this because he was a very angry man at one point in his life. And if you don't know anything about him, he killed tons and tons and tons of people. And so he was a very angry man himself. And he knows, he knows that being cheerful in those difficult situations is hard. And so he says, hey, listen, to be cheerful, you need to give thanks. But he takes it a little bit deeper and he says, actually, God has created you. He's created you and he made you to live out of a posture of thanks. In fact, we said that thank you is the way that God made you, that when he created you, when he formed you, when he first put you into existence, it was by intention. It was by design that you would live a life of gratitude, even when you face difficult circumstances. So we said your best you begins with thank you. That the best person you can be begins when you give thanks. And then last week, if you weren't here, we really missed you. It was a great week. We talked about survive. Y'all remember this? That so many of us in life are just surviving. Like when you get up every day, you might find yourself saying, man, I just need to get through this. I just need to get through this. Whether it's work, whether it's school, whether it's a test, whether it's getting your kids to bed, you wake up and you're just trying to get through. In fact, we said this, this is a litmus, litmus test for people who are just surviving, if you wake up and you find yourself saying, all I have to do is just get through. All I have to do is just get through. Then you're probably in survival mode. And so we looked at this story where Jesus shows up and there are a bunch of people who are in survival mode. In fact, it talks about uh, there are a bunch of disabled people who were lying uh, in this area. And, and it says a bunch of people were laying, laying there. And, and John gave us permission to translate that as there were people in life who were comfortably stumbling along. That they've gotten to a place in their life where they were okay with just surviving and just getting by. And and Jesus has not created, God did not design you to just get by in life or just survive in life. God has designed you for so much more. And so he walks up to this man who had been laying there for 40 years. this, This guy had been disabled for 40 years, paralyzed for 40 years. Walks up to him and says, do you want to get well? Now that looks like a really dumb question. Because who would want to get well? When you go to the doctor, I mean, come on, when you go to the doctor, do you, do you stand in front of your doctor and they give you advice and you say, that's really great and all, but I think I'll just stay the way I am. I really like the problem that I have. No, 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 not at all. You, 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 if you're smart, you'll follow the doctor's advice. So Jesus asks this question, do you want to get well? And it seems really dumb, but when we discovered what he was really saying there, is it. it kind of describes this idea of God's want for your life. These words, do you want, are are really translated, do you want what God wants for you? Like, God wants so much for you. He has so many plans for you. He has so many dreams for you. Do you want what he wants for you? In fact, I truly believe this. God can't want it more for your life than you want it for your own. God can't want it more for your life than you want it for your own. In fact, we said God will never extend his power where you don't give him permission. And that's why Jesus asked, is it okay to make you well? And so we said last week, when you want what Jesus wants, life changes. When you want what Jesus wants, life changes. And we looked at this from a church perspective. That when we as a church want what Jesus wants, lives changed. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. You know, we talk about the Apostles Creed. It's so interesting. Um, When you look at the Apostles Creed, the very beginning when it says he was born of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, we go straight to the part where it says, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. There was a great period between the time Jesus was born and the time that he suffered. What went on during that time? He preached the kingdom of of heaven. He preached the kingdom of Jesus. He preached good news for three straight years. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here, is we're here to bring you good news of hope for your life. That God has so much more for you. And so today... I want to do something a bit different. Now, if it's a disaster, uh, you can blame me because it was my idea, Um, and that's okay. Uh, But I want to interview, I want to do a two-part thing this morning, Uh, and and instead of me preaching to you, uh, I would like to bring somebody up this morning who I think, in some sense, is thriving in life, right? We're going to take it from a life perspective, and then we're going to take it from a spiritual perspective. And so, as I invite um, Chris to come down, uh, many of you would never know that this gentleman that's about to come forward, who sits in the sound booth every week, who, by the way, when you walk by him, very quiet, you know, very reserved, you know, doesn't say a lot, doesn't have a lot to say. And when he does, he's very short and very concise. Um, And and at the end of the day, you would never think that this guy coming right up here is an adrenaline junkie. In fact, secret, um, he would not describe himself that way. But what is so cool about Chris is that, A few years ago, we sat down together and we were talking about what happened before we had kids. You know, we actually could enjoy life. And um, I'm totally kidding. Uh, But we used to, I was, you know, I was in a hobby of backpacking and loved doing outdoorsy stuff. And turns out he did as well. And I didn't know that. And we're eating breakfast. And Chris just doesn't waste time. He said, um, hey, what do you think about actually just doing a trip? And I'm like, well, hey, why not? So we ended up um, going on our first trip. We went to Glacier National Park where we backpacked for a few days. And then um, two years ago, we went to the Grand Tetons where we backpacked the Grand Tetons. And then this last year, we were in Colorado where we backpacked uh, a couple of peaks. We, we climbed a couple of mountains. We got a little risky this year. And this dude's an adrenaline junkie. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have gone if it wasn't for him like constantly saying, dude, I think you should do this. It'll be good for your heart and your soul. Uh, You'll be less angry in life. um, Then, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. And so today I want to interview him and just ask him a few questions about what he has learned on the trail through his life. Uh, If you don't know, Chris works downtown at a bank, and um, he's smarter than all of us put together. And so, seriously true. If you you let him explain to you what he does in his job, and you'll glaze over. Anyway, um, because it's so difficult. But I asked Chris in the earlier service, "Would you consider yourself an adrenaline junkie?" He said, "No." So I'm just going to ask him. I'm just going to ask him. Uh, tell us about how you got into backpacking and your newfound love for climbing.
1: Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, not necessarily an adrenaline junkie. I was telling Brad, I just like to see beautiful things in nature, and they tend to be at places where it's difficult to get to. So, um, what was the question? Sorry, you, no, that, so you changed it up that's a on good me. Question, so yeah.
0: Um, just how did you get into backpacking? Oh, yeah.
1: Um, so, Tara and I had done some some pretty intense hiking trips over the years um, before we had kids, so it was a little easier. <laughs> um, went out to British Columbia, Washington State, down in Utah, and um, yeah, I just love being out there. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't really like working in big cities, but uh, I have to, to to eat, feed my kids, um, so I do that, and then whenever I get a chance, I go somewhere else. So, uh, I, yeah, I just it, it's it's cool because we humans lived like that for thousands of years, like out out in the wilderness and you know seeing stars. I was telling you know Brad living in, in Chicago, y- you might see a star or it might be American Airlines Flight 1428 to Dallas. <laughs> it, it's mostly planes, right? But you go out there and you see like th- tens of thousands of stars. Um, it's amazing. Uh, it just puts things in perspective. You know, you, you worry less about the the petty stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, so, it's so funny that he talks about that. I mean, like, the whole working. And he, I said, tell me, what, what goes through your mind most of the time? And he says, I think about three things every day. I think about backpacking, I think about food, and I think about my wife. And that's about it. And he said, when I'm not thinking about one, I'm thinking about the other. So uh, that's, that's all he thinks about. And I know, but the research that he's done on our hiking trips, you would know that's predominantly what he is, is thinking about from day to day. Talk to us about um, uh, hiking while it looks kind of fun and um, doesn't look too hard at times. Uh, talk to us about some of the scariest moments you faced when you were on the trail. Uh, sure.
1: So th- this past summer I went to the Grand Teton um, to Climb the the primary mountain out there called Grand Teton. Um, So yeah, it was it was some scary moments there. Uh, It was my first uh, legit rock climb. Like I'd done some class two, class three stuff, but um, never done uh, real legit rock climbing. So um,
0: when you say class two, class three, can you explain for non-hikers and climbers what that means? Oh
1: yeah, sure. So class one is like just hiking on a trail. It's flat, right? No big deal. Uh, And then class two is like scrambling up rocks. Class three is like Going over boulders, and you have to actually lift yourself up. And then, uh, class five is is uh, the height of craziness, where you're actually like belayed in, meaning uh, you're you're hooked to the guy in front of you and the guy in back of you, uh, in hopes that if one of you fall, you catch each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you're you're rock climbing.
0: So yeah, tell us about that scary moment.
1: Oh sure, uh, probably the scariest moment was uh, this year. We we got up to so. Um, We we base camped about 11,000 feet, and then we got up early, about 3 in the the morning, to go up uh, to the peak. And um, where it got real uh, was when we got to the the base of a place called the Enclosure. So uh, the north side of the mountain has some wicked updrafts. It was like 50-mile-an-hour winds once we go over the the crest of the Enclosure. And um, we were walking around uh, a cliff face, blade in, and uh, there's this part called the belly crawl, which is like an inverted wall. Uh, so you're kind of like going along the cliff face, um, and then the, the belly crawls like this area. You have to like, do some weird inversion thing around the rock, and you're like, you're like 2,000 feet vertical at that point, which is uh, yeah, a little intimidating.
0: Which, by the way, 2,000 feet vertical means like you, only, you have 2,000 feet to fall, but this is at nearly 13,000 feet in the sky. So uh, yeah. that doesn't give you the full picture. It may, it's, maybe it's 2,000 feet down to your death, but... Right, the rescue
1: team would have to go up 10,000 feet. Yeah, to, get to right,
0: to get you, yeah. so. Um, well, I want to talk about in week one, we talked about negative Nancys and negative people and how they never move forward. Um, and so I want you to talk quickly about the power of negative thinking. Uh, we've gone on a few trips together and we've had a few negative Nancys when we were hiking. Um, and so I want you to talk about your experience with people who've gone on these trips and the power of negative thinking and what happens when they find themselves in that kind of situation.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of negativity that's to be expected, um, We're in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by bears and wolves and mountain mountain lions and all sorts of other crazy hikers. And, uh, yeah, it's cold and rainy or hot, uh, and maybe it's hailing. So there's a lot of things to complain about, Um, but I don't don't complain too much, mostly because I'm really giddy. Uh, But I try not to look like an idiot and smile and and, uh, (laughs) look like I'm I'm a psycho. But, yeah, inside, I'm all excited every time we um, wake up and it's hailing. I'm like, ooh. Hike and hail today. So I guess it's your perspective. Uh, most people would be a little grumpy in that situation, but uh, I enjoy it.
0: Yeah, and talk about that. I mean, there were a few folks on our recent trip um, who sort of, um, you know, we our first day, we were, our second day when we were hiking out, uh, we were actually instead of just climbing trails, we were going to climb to the top of Mount Alice, which is like thirteen thousand three hundred feet. And we got to the lake right before the climb, the ascent up, which is, you know, uh, it was about 800 feet, which appeared at that time just straight up. And talk about, we stood around that lake for a few minutes, and we, we had a few folks who went negative. And just talk about what happened from there. Uh, yeah.
1: So a lot of times things look worse than they are. I mean, you, you look back at a mountain, it looks like it's straight up, but then when you get up close to it, there's all little, little handholds or little, you know, tra- like spots you can you can get up, so... Um, yeah, some people turned around, but uh, you know that's that's all part of it, right? You don't want I don't want to put anybody in a spot where they're they're not comfortable.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Chris and I were the only two that went up that day, and we had a blast uh, until I cramped up literally on the top of the mountain, and I didn't know what was going on because I drank like five liters of water. Which, by the way, there is a such thing as overhydration. I didn't know that, and um, I had really essentially gotten rid of all the, my nutrients throughout the day, and here I am at thirteen thousand three hundred feet, and I'm starting to flip out because I can't move my legs in anymore, and that's um, a long way down. But, um, but we had, it was an amazing view uh, from, from the top, and it was really because of Chris saying, man, I think we can do this, it's not a problem, we've got time, that, that I was able to make my first actual climb at 13,300 feet, it was a good time. Um, I want you to talk about your perspective personally when, when you're facing negative things or, or, or things that... Um, could easily keep you from doing what you want to do. What's your mindset when you do
2: that?
1: Um, you just take it a little bit at a time, right? Uh, if you look at the totality of going into the middle of nowhere and climbing mountains, it's, just, it's a little scary, but um, just take it a little bit at a time and uh, I guess it's not that scary. That's
0: good. It's very good. Well, week two we talked about survival um, and that so many of us are just surviving. and. Uh, Chris would never tell you this story because uh, he, he would never want to embarrass me, uh, but I'll tell you this story because uh, it's embarrassing to me. And I remember um, we, we, get, we were going to climb Isolation Peak, which was virtually the same height as the other mountain we climbed the day before. And I remember um, we got up early in the morning. We ate breakfast at 4.30. We hiked up to the first lake that was sort of at the base of the mountain. And I saw storm clouds start ro- rolling in over the top of the mountain. Now, what, what isn't told here is that when we went to the ranger station at the beginning, they said it rains here every day and the storms get fierce. And if you're caught on the top of the mountain, here's the advice. Spread out. Don't stay together because one of you is going to die. That's what they said. So Chris told me that, and I'm just getting up that morning, and I'm staring at the clouds rolling over, and all I'm thinking about is like, hey, we're going to die, you know. I'm not climbing that mountain. Uh, and so I went into survival mode, and I said, I think we should turn back. I mean, I know it's 5 in the morning, but I see those clouds. I'm not going up there. And, um, and um, Chris didn't say a word, and I could see him just staring at it and staring at it, and I thought, surely he is not considering doing this. And so I knew Tara would be upset if I just let him stay there by himself. And so I made my last plea. Chris, listen, we've got to go back. We can't do this. This isn't safe. And um, he just sat there and said, I, I think I'm going to sit this one out. I'm just going to sit right here next to this rock, and I'm going to wait it out. Not sit it out. I'm going to wait it out. And uh, I thought, you're, you're crazy. like." And uh, he basically said, you guys can go back if you want, but I'm staying here. And I'm thinking of my family. I'm thinking, I want to go home. I've already climbed one pink. That was good enough for me. Um, and so talk to me about that day. When we talk about survival mode, so many of us just sort of like, we become fearful, we're afraid, we give up. Talk about your experience that day um, and what it was like when you decided, I'm getting past this survival thing. Um, sure.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I'm pretty prepared on these trips. I,
0: um Prepared as an understatement, he has an Excel sheet for where all of his gear's located.
1: Yeah, so, it, so it's not like I just rolled up to a trail and was like, nah, I'll climb a mountain today. I, I knew the, the GPS waypoints at every, every lake, so we are going to hit four different lakes up to the peak. I um, had a satellite phone in case you know, I broke a femur or something. Um, med kit, so that was pretty good. Um, I did see the clouds rolling over. The, the storms uh, in the mountains come usually in the afternoon. There's uh, pretty wicked thunderstorms that come over west to east over there, um, so statistically, it was probably not a storm, but uh, it did look pretty gnarly, so yeah, I just sat it out, I sat there for about an hour, freezing my butt off, I got hailed on, but then it uh, started to break, so I, I went up to the next lake and just kept doing that until I got to the, the base of the mountain, and uh, yeah, it looked uh, looked pretty bad, so I sat it out there for a little bit, and then uh, it started to break a little bit around 10 o'clock, and I, uh, I ran off the mountain. And ran back down because it was thunderstorms on the other side.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) So what he didn't tell you is that it was like 50-mile-an-hour winds. There was hail. And he's climbing up to the – he said, yeah, it was a bit gnarly. It was a bit scary. Uh, It was crazy. Not only that, he made that hike all the way to the top. Uh, It was a seven-hour hike. And then hiked with us another eight miles out that day. And, um, I mean, he's like – you're like Chuck Norris of of backpacking. I mean, I I don't know what else to say other than that. But What inside? let me just ask this question. Um, How did you feel – when, when you've made the summit, even in the midst of those adverse conditions, uh, how did you feel about making that summit?
1: Oh, it's, it's amazing. I it's think like you're on top of the world. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was going up there one way or another. I only had to wait for an hour, but I would have waited for, <laughs> for longer because um, I had the, the goal in mind.
0: So tell me, uh, what is it about backpacking that makes you feel like you're thriving in your life?
1: Um... it's, uh, the drive for me is seeing things that, that most people never see, right, like, most people go to the national parks, whatever, they go to the visitor center, and that's cool, um, but I want, I want to see things that, um, like I said, people saw for thousands of years, you know, but we don't see anymore, because we just, uh, live in the suburbs or the city, and we're kind of comfortable, and, um, we know where our food's coming from, things we don't, uh, We don't put ourselves out there and go back and see these beautiful things that that still exist.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's – by the way, um, if you ever decide to go with us on these trips, it's not one of those things where you drive around and you visit the nature center at the park. Uh, There's a good chance you'll see one or two people on the trails that we go on. So uh, don't plan on making phone calls or seeing people. It's pretty – you're pretty isolated out there. It's pretty pretty scary stuff. Uh, Just quickly, I want you to talk about – Uh, what are some things that you've learned about backpacking and mountain climbing that you think uh, pertain to life? What can we learn in life about? What are some of the lessons you've learned that kind of transition or help you in your understanding of life? That's deep.
1: Um, I guess perseverance, right? There's, like, a lot of things to complain about. Not that um, I'm not trying to cheapen, like, bad things that happen in people's lives, but I I guess it's about your perspective, right? knowing where you want to go or what you want to do and uh, doing it not trying not to complain as much as you much as you can
2: yeah
0: so so give us hope today as a church um talk about uh what is the translation there for a church um when you talk about perseverance and and it's all about perspective h- how can we as a church um use what you've taught us today to to move us forward um
1: yeah i think it's the the persistence right uh not focusing on the negative. There's gonna be a lot of negative stuff, like you know, spoiler alert, we're all gonna die, right? So bad stuff's gonna happen. It just depends on uh, how, you, how you deal with it, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, again, I'm not trying to cheapen things, like bad things that happen in people's sure. lives, but um, you have two options, right? You can, yeah, you can keep absolutely. on
0: going or not. Well, Chris, thank you for sharing uh, quickly about uh, life on the trail and how you thrive. Can we give Chris a hand this morning? I want to invite uh, two other people on the spiritual side of things to come up and talk with us this morning. And, and this is really important. This is, some of you may not know this story, and you may not know what they're about to share with you. Uh, and so I really wanted to highlight this this morning uh, because I think it's just it's so powerful uh, what you're about to hear. And, um, and I think it will definitely help many of you who are facing really difficult situations in life uh, and what it means to thrive spiritually when it comes to a relationship. With Jesus. So, uh, by the way, this is Ron and Jeannie. Uh, if you guys could tell us quickly uh, who you are, what you do, and what are you doing here.
2: <laughs> well, my name is Ron. Uh, I am a partner CPA firm. Uh, so, I work in the non for profit and CPA. I do not do taxes. I know enough taxes to be dangerous, and that's it. So, I have to,
3: do, I have to do pastor's taxes every year. Um, my name is my name is Jeannie. <laughs> I'm one of the I'm one of the pastors here at this church. Um, in case some of you don't recognize me, um, so that's what I do. Um, We've been married for eleven and a half years. Um, we have two kids. Amy is ten. Um, she's the one that seems to be in charge of everyone else. If you ah. meet her, she's the one that's bossing everyone else around. Um, she runs with the Yanchik's, the Yanchik girls. You can recognize Amy because she's the one who's not blonde. Um, and then we have Caleb, who is almost eight. Yeah.
0: That's Caleb. Yeah, that's Caleb. <laughs> well, uh, you shared that you've been married for eleven and a half years, and if you're married, you know the half part is important. If you can make it to half of a year, that's really good. <laughs> um, but eleven and a half years, you've been married. I don't, I, it's just my opinion, maybe perhaps in the last 11 and a half years, the, the current situation that you guys are facing now is probably one of the most difficult you faced in, in your marriage. Uh, would you guys be willing to share what's going on in your life and what's really difficult about what you're going through?
3: Okay, well, for those of you who haven't figured out or haven't noticed, I am pregnant. I'm not just putting on weight in the center of me, I'm pregnant. Um, And we found out a couple of months ago now that um, this baby that we're going to have has something called trisomy 21, which um, in non-medical terms is what we know as Down syndrome. And then um, also on top of that, he has um, two defects in his heart, which will require um, surgical repair, once he's born, and um, one of the defects is kind of a, it's kind of a wild card um, in that it's, it's a valve that's not big enough right now. And so if, if that valve um, doesn't grow, um, then he will need um, a valve replacement surgery probably pretty soon after he's born, um, because it's the valve that controls the blood that goes to your lungs. From your heart, and so it 's the valve that controls how he 's able to oxygenate his own blood, and so if that if that happens, then he 's going to need multiple surgeries throughout his life as he grows because he 'll have an artificial valve which doesn 't grow with him, and as we all know, children grow, and so every time he grows a little bit he 'll need another surgery to replace that valve sure. um, and so that 's in a nutshell, (laughs) what's going on.
0: Yeah, um, Ron, I want to ask you this question. Uh, Talk to us about uh, your response when you found out that Jeannie was pregnant. (laughs)
2: Um, It wasn't great. (laughs) Probably was a good thing she texted it and I was in the office. Um, I normally don't get distracted in my office. I'm pretty focused and um, there's not that many things that will get me distracted and focusing on the client. Um, and in <clears throat> almost 20 years of accounting, this is the one news that got me distracted. Uh, it got me so distracted that I even started talking to some of my coworkers, who I knew were really good Christians, also. So yeah, I, I didn't take it that great. Um, I even made her take a go to the immediate care to take a blood test, plus also another one, so we took three tests. So. They all came back positive, so I I had to bite the bullet and say, okay, I guess we're having another baby.
0: (laughs) Would you mind sharing with people? He's an accountant, so he knows numbers. uh, What are the percentage chances of this actually happening?
2: Uh, For our age and having a naturally is less than 1% for the baby to be this stage right now. So uh, as an accountant who takes risks and estimates, less than 1%, I'm willing to take that as an auditor that I I made a mistake. Um, there's a
0: good chance, there's a slim chance. There's a slim chance,
2: and this was a slim chance. So, yeah, it was it was a, it was a tough, tough news.
0: It was a risk you were willing to take, but you took it. And and
2: now I, have yeah. Now you're so. here.
0: So I want you to keep going. I want you to tell because you shared this with me. Um, finding out there were complications, uh, you were struggling in the, in the beginning with this, how could this be? I've got plans for my life. I've got everything situated the way I want. Now, now there's a huge wrench in things how your conversations with God went, and the moment where it changed for you. Okay.
2: Well, we just bought a house, so my dad saying new house, new baby came true again, but um, so we were very patient in buying this house. I, I sat down, I figured out how I was going to pay for this down payment, plus have another house, and the Lord, and I said, okay, Lord, and I even had in faith before that to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to go out and and faith, and you're going to make me sell this other house before I have to pay the next mortgage. Cause, um, and he did it. And but then I said, now I got an office. I got my kids have their own bedrooms. This is right where we want to be, Lord. Thank you, bless me. And then of course this came, and I said, Lord, I, the fourth the fourth bedroom was not for a baby. It was for an office. Um, <clears throat> so I was struggling with the Lord a lot uh, in my car commutes. I, I travel a lot for my job, so I have a lot of time to that's probably where I spend most of my devotional time is window prayer and talking to God. And I was talking to God, this was not in my plan. Uh, how could you not have this in my plan? Um, and then in August when we had the ultrasound and they turned out into more complications, I said, now listen Lord, uh, this is gonna be expensive and we don't, the number one, as an accountant, I know the number one reason for bank, bankruptcy now today is medical expenses. So, I can't file for bankruptcy as a CPA because of my license. So I said, Lord, I don't know if I can afford all of these uh, medical expenses now. Now come in, I- I've been following you faithfully. I've been following you twice faithfully since I was 13 years old. Um, and so I was wrestling with it. And then eventually I had a, a panic attack. And I normally am a very laid back. Everything just rolls off. I adjust it and move on. But this one I was having a hard time. So I was in the doctor's office having a panic attack. In fact, they were thinking I was having a heart attack. Uh, they even called the ambulance to come get me. And then eventually, the lawyer said to me, in that doctor's office, he said, have I got your attention yet? <laughs> and I said, okay, yes. Do you believe in what you teach to the students? Do you believe in what you read and what you're saying to other people? And I said, yes then why are you not doing it? And I said, you're right. So I sat there at the doctor's office, and I just said, okay, in Christ alone, I'll give you my family. In Christ alone, I'll give you my job. In Christ alone, I'll give you this situation. And every single time something popped up, uh, within 15 minutes, that panic attack, all of the other symptoms just disappeared because you put the trust in gas, in Jesus's name. And that's where I think um, I've taken it up a little bit, taken it back down, but I'm in a much better stage because I have to remember in Christ alone. And that's where that that moment was uh, a turning point in that position.
0: That's great. Um, Jeannie, this is for you. we have staff meetings every Monday and, and one of the questions after we write thank you notes and some of you have been recipients of those, we write thank you notes and we have the time of devotion and prayer. But one of the things that I'll do as we go around is I will ask each of our staff members, talk to me about how you're doing spiritually. We gauge one, I don't believe in God anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm quitting today and 10 being, uh, as Jeannie would say, take me to heaven now. This is exciting stuff. Um, we, we ask this question every week. How are you doing spiritually? On a one to 10, how are How are you doing? And I remember when when Jeannie found out and Ron found out that um, there were complications with with the pregnancy and with the birth, I remember asking this question, and I was thinking I was going to get a response that I would give, but I'm going to let her tell you her response in that moment, and I was really shocked.
3: Well, Brad, in all honesty, Brad had to remind me of my response because I forgot. But um, apparently I said that um, I was at a 9 or a 10. Um, at that point, um, I was feeling Jesus closer to me than I had maybe ever felt, or at least had felt in a long time. And um, I can't remember if it was just that morning or the day before um, that, that Psalm 91 was the psalm of the day. And... Um, I muffed it in the first service, so I actually opened my Bible. But it says, the first couple verses, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, so whoever, who, whoever lives in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And so I could just, you know, I could... F- I could feel um and I still can um Jesus with me, Amen. and um, I know that he's there, and this is this is hard it's not it's not a fun thing it's not um it's not easy um, and you know in some ways, I feel like it's it's almost harder because I'm a pastor, you know, and you know. We're supposed to have it all together, right,
0: and we do I mean you know
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> by the way, that's sarcasm for those <laughs> <laughs> you who don't know me uh, yeah
3: um you know and and I feel like I sometimes it's like people will call me and they'll be they'll be in crisis, and I'll be like, I'm dealing with my own crisis i i can't I can't help you with your crisis right now, um, so I just but. Yeah, on the other hand, I just, I feel, I know, it's not just I feel, I know that God is with me, and that he is absolutely trustworthy, and absolutely faithful.
0: Uh, You shared something in the first service I thought was so helpful. Um, We may have had a heated um, staff um, conversation at one point. Uh, I was a little frustrated, and talk to me about that day. Uh, what went through your mind? Thoughts you were having, especially during pregnancy here, and uh, what, what did you feel like God was saying to you in that time?
3: Well, this was, um, this was actually a couple weeks after I had preached. Some of you remember when I um, preached to you about Hannah, and um, after that staff meeting, I came in here and had my Hannah moment, where I actually um, kneeled at the altar, and Some of you notice if we have prayer time, I don't usually kneel because I'm not certain that I'm actually going to get back up. So, But this is one of those times where I kneeled here and I probably cried for a good 25 or 30 minutes. And crying, saying, God, I, I can't do this. I don't understand why this is happening. You know, I don't... I don't, th- I, I don't know how to be a pastor anymore. I don't, I don't know if I should be a pastor anymore. Um, I don't know how to be a pastor and a mom. I don't know how to be a pastor and a mom and a mom of a sick baby. Yeah. And I don't know how to, to, um, be, all those things and a wife and, a wife of. Um, Somebody who's sometimes works himself close to death, um, <laughs> and and I was like, God, I you know, and and I can't I can't be strong anymore. I I you know I just can't do this, and um, yeah. So I just it was yeah I wanted to give up, and um, it was in that moment again where I heard you know, where I heard God speaking to me. And it wasn't like he was saying, you know, it's okay, I'm going to make all this go away. That's not that's not what he said. But he said, I'm here. I hear you. I understand. I love you. You're not a failure. You know, because sometimes, um, I don't know how other women feel who've gotten diagnoses like this, but... I felt, you know, <laughs> you're told when you're when you're pregnant if you just eat right and you take care of yourself and everything, you're going to have a perfectly healthy healthy baby. And that's not how life, you know, works sometimes. But and so I was, you know, feeling somewhat responsible for well, and I do. I feel responsible for this child cuz I'm carrying this child right now and um but you know, this is, this is something that I have no control over. This is not something that I caused to happen. Yeah. And um, this is not something that God caused to happen. Um, it's, it's a result of living in a fallen world. Right. And unfortunately, bad things happen. As Chris said, you know, bad things happen to, to people. And, um, so, yeah, I, (laughs) at that point, uh, that was my, you know, God, I, I, I can't do this, and, you know, in some ways, God was like, you're right, you can't, but I'm with you.
0: If you could, each of you, in one minute, uh, sum this thing up, what is God teaching you through this in your faith?
2: It's okay to talk to God, but you don't ever give up on God. And you're thriving when you're just focusing on God and staying in God's mind and speaking to God in a loving manner. And I think that's what, he, what I have learned. And then you have to live the way you, what you learn in the Bible. You have to believe in the word of God and then actually live it out.
3: And it's funny, because you, in the first service, you asked um, how we saw ourselves as thriving spiritually. And um, let me just tell you, it doesn't feel like I'm thriving right now. But you can't base, we you can't base your relationship with God always on how you feel, because emotions are fleeting, and they come and go. And you're not always going to feel good and happy and like you're thriving but God is there and so how what I'm learning and I believe this before but I I firmly believe it more now is that how how we respond to circumstances is a choice I have a choice I can choose to um, curl up in a ball in my fetal position on the couch and never leave my house again but I'm not going to do that Because I choose to believe that God has my ultimate best in mind. And he has the ultimate best of my family in mind. And he has the ultimate best of this baby in mind. And not only that, but good grief. This is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. If I cannot put my trust in a God like that, where can I put my trust? Nowhere. And so we have a choice. We always have a choice. We can choose to to back away and say, okay, God, this is not worth it. And and that's not going to change my circumstances. That's just going to make what I'm going through harder. But instead... um, I choose, I choose to trust and believe that God is good, that he is faithful, and that he is with me. He is, he is God incarnate. He is the God who is with us. And so I'm not, you know, even if I'm, you know, walking through, touring the NICU, you know, by myself, or whatever, which by the way was really hard, um, he was with me there, too. And he's with all those other little babies that are laying in those, you know, isolates and and all those other parents. And so it's, yeah, as I said, how we respond is a choice, and that's what I'm learning. And so I choose to respond with, you know, thanksgiving in my heart to God for what he's doing in my life and how he's going to use this in my life, in Ron's life, and in maybe somebody else's life.
0: It's yeah. good. Can we give Jeannie and Ron a hand today? Thank you so much. Well, uh, I know we've gone over, and I'm sorry, we typically don't, so, you know, hey, have us some grace here with us. Um, but uh, I, I think what, what I take away from today is it's about the power of perspective and choice. Right, And so the question I want to ask you is, how can you personally thrive where you are in life with perspective and choice? What does it mean for you to flourish in your faith, for you to thrive in your faith wherever you are? Whether it's at school, whether it's in your job, whether it's your role as a parent, whether it's in retirement. Like, come on. Like, So many of us, when we get to retirement, it's like we're just going to sit back and hang out. But then there are some who decide, I'm going to flourish in this time. I'm going to make a difference. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep going. And so that's where I want to challenge you is, do you want to continue to be an adrenaline junkie, someone who thrives off of negativity, or who just walks through life sort of just going through the motions? Or will you make the choice today to thrive, to be everything that God has made you And this really is the question for our church, right? When we meet tonight at 6 p.m., again, dinner, 6 p.m., meet, be here. It is about the power of perspective. It is about the power of the choice for us. When I think about the risks that we have to take when we go backpacking or or the faith that we have to have when we we face uh, some friction or some difficult problems in our life, are we as a church willing to make those risks as well? Are we willing to take those risks? Are we willing to have the kind of faith it takes to do something amazing for this community we call Joliet that we love so much? I believe in this city. Uh, I I often tell people I wasn't just called to a church. I was called to a city. So even if I'm no longer the pastor of this church, uh, I'm committed to this city because I believe in it. And I think there's so much good that can be done here. So much good that can be done here. But I want you, and I want me, and I want this church to be part of making this a thriving, beautiful city. We want to see the good where nobody else can. And that's what I want this morning for us.